Hi, I'm Carla Wainwright. And I'm Little Leah. And welcome to the Radical Sex Witches podcast, where we explore the themes of sexuality, feminism, consciousness, love, healing, ritual, magic, and all things witchy and wonderful. Hello, all you sexy sleuths, and welcome to another episode of the Radical Sex Witches. As always, I'm Slooty Little Leah, and with me is Carla Wainwright, who is a sleut in her own right. Carla Wayne, right, 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 right. Carla Wayne, right. That's right. <laughs> hey, Leah. Hi. <laughs> it's like, where do we go from here? But maybe we should just kick things off with the fact that, hey, guess what? We have a store on Etsy. So if you want to buy some of our merch, we got hoodies, some shirts mug this that and the other thing and you know what all of your purchases no it is while we would love to be able to have it fund a vacation for both carla and i actually all your money goes into running this show so buy from us please god (laughs) make great christmas presents absolutely or a great way to kick off 2023 yeah be a radical sex witch and tell everybody about it So moving on to today's topic, if as so many paradigm claims, monogamy is natural and inherent to human beings, why are we so bad at it? Cultures around the world have stringent penalties for having sex outside of marriage or at all, yet people repeatedly break the rules and often suffer horrific punishments. Could it be that we human beings aren't meant to be monogamous? That's the topic of today's episode in sexual evolution. Evolution, evolution, evolution. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, so the topic we're going to be talking about today is inspired by a book uh, written in 2010 called Sex at Dawn by Christopher Ryan and uh, Calcidia Data. I'm, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. And this book challenged conventional views on sex by diving into our ancestors' sexual history and the rise of monogamy and their viewpoint on it. So interestingly, it was super controversial when it came out, and a lot of people got pretty upset. And I think anytime you talk about monogamy, or maybe Mm -hmm. that we're not supposed to be monogamous, uh, lots of people get their knickers in a knot. Um, But you know, I was looking at this book recently on my bookshelf and I thought, oh, this would be a great topic to to dive into on the podcast. And and I feel like what the author shared brings an opportunity to question some of our assumptions, what we've been taught, maybe expand our thinking about our understanding of what sex and relationships could look like. Um, This is is not a book review, but we're just using the points, the main points that were brought out in the book as a, a point of discussion. Right. So we're going to discuss their general arguments about why humans are not designed to be monogamous. Let's start with ancient humans. What do researchers think they were like? Right. So um, I guess I should just say that, of course, you know, researchers don't always agree. But in their book, they believe that prehistory humans were thought to be, you know, of course, hunter gatherers. I think there's probably pretty much consensus on that. But that society was very egalitarian. So that within these groups, sexual interaction would have been viewed the same way as all the other things that would kind of go on day to day. So resources, uh, childcare, food, protection. And so because of how we live, the idea of pair bonding through, you know, marriage 
or maybe not like formally marriage, but pair bonding, monogamous relationships and nuclear families, they didn't exist because people just took care of everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, There weren't those kind of like, you know, little nuclear pods. So the idea was that we enjoyed sex with various members of our tribe. And then um, that lasted for a really long time. And then then things started to shift over time. But we're going to get to that in a moment. So it was the advent of agriculture where two big changes happened to our diets and our sex lives. Yes. I never thought about it about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Agriculture. I mean, of course, agriculture gave rise to, to modern civilizations. Absolutely. But uh, there's also some really negative things that happened as a result of agriculture. So um once people started to settle down and farm their own food, life, of course, changed super dramatically. So before, you know, as hunter gatherers, we would just eat whatever we found. And so just naturally, we would have a huge different variety of foods and nutrients. But once we started mass producing the same few things, it started to take a toll on our health and then subsequently our behavior. And they find that in the fossil record that, you know, once um, people we're in agrarian societies, like their teeth start to look, you know, like they get a lot of cavities and malformations in their jaws and things like that, because people just, you know, they ate corn all the time or mm-hmm. wheat all the time or something like that. And then, you know, nutritionally that, that wasn't optimal. And, you know, similarly, since hunter gatherers didn't settle and they didn't really own much because that would have been a pain in the ass to, <laughs> to carry around from place to place. Um, they also, the authors state that they didn't also have possessions or, or people in the form of long-term partners. Uh, also what happened, um, so that's a, that's that began to shift when, when there were agricultural societies because um, people started to have possessions. And as people had more possessions, there began to be a bigger difference between rich and poor. So those who had more land or a bigger farm were more prosperous. And then that just really fed into the human tendency, which is absolutely human tendency, which is greed and jealousy to try to own as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, men did all the farming, women lost their gatherer jobs, and then they were really stuck taking care of children. And so it became more and more important for men to know who their children were so that they could pass on their prosperous life and all of their possessions to um, all the things they gathered in their life to their children. So the only way to actually make sure um, they knew who um, their kids were so they could pass on their property was to have a woman stay with him and only him. I mean, all of this that you're saying makes a lot of sense because I mean the last portion, because that's what we currently live in right now. But I had no idea that because of, you know, when we were tribes and this is how it worked, that's kind of crazy that we were all just sharing everything, sharing, sharing our corn, sharing our dick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as, as these authors postulate, I mean, you know, of course, like human evolution took over a real, you know, spanned over a really, really long period of time and we don't have a time machine. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they, they make that big differentiation that things were just all kind of shared in a hunter gatherer society. But as soon as agriculture came about, um, that changed and, and just back to the food thing for a second, I think, you know, from my own knowledge of nutrition and, uh, you know, that sort of thing that I think that when people ate those kind of monoculture diets, so not only they become unhealthier, but I think that also would have changed their behaviors. Like there might've been more aggression, uh, like more, 
you know, tendencies towards, you know, behaviors that aren't very um, perhaps loving and nurturing and supportive um, if people, you know, aren't eating optimally. Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah. One thought that, you know, when you brought up a time machine in my brain, it immediately painted a picture of you being a time traveling, peeping Carla, just Mm. seeing how people were fucking through the ages. I could just see it. And obviously you're going to spend a lot of time in the Victoria era because we all know that's that's your jam. But I just like pictured you like, oh, whatever era this is. And here I am in the bushes watching this giant like tribe orgy. <laughs> Her eyes lit up when I said that, by the well, way. Everybody you know, can I just say that ever since I was a kid, okay, minus this watching the sexual orgy part, but just the time machine part. <laughs> has been since I was a little kid. Oh, who doesn't want to travel through time? Number one thing. You know, when they say you have three wishes or you want to get rid of like, you know, you want world world peace. I'm like, no, fuck that. I want a time machine. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I added a missing piece to your time travel though. It was just like, oh, yes. yes, I would like to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine the book I would write. (laughs) Probably better than these guys's. (laughs) They're true facts. It's not just researching. I was there. Anyways, and another cultural shift did take place at the same time. The notion that women's libidos is lower than men's, which of course is wrong. And women want sex just as much, but we are conditioned to play it down. So, of course, as many of our listeners know, that women's libido is just as strong as men's. And, you know, they've done studies that, of course, have shown that. And it's and the thing about our libido is it's much more complex than men's. Uh, I want to reference a book called Untrue by Wednesday Martin. I would love to have her as a guest one day. So she it's all about women's libido and and all of the myths that we've you know been taught to, uh, taught about and buy into about um, yeah women and our and our sex drives and our um, faithfulness and all of these sorts of things. But anyway, just coming back to a couple of these studies because they're kind of interesting. So. When both hetero and gay women and men were shown erotic videos, um, their arousal was measured by checking how much blood flowed to their genitals, and both groups were aroused equally. Interesting. Yeah. And women's sexuality is more fluid, um, They and they are aroused by a greater variety of images, so even including <laughs> monkeys having sex. I just laugh when I see monkeys having sex or any animals for that matter. It's funny to me. (laughs) (laughs) It is kind of funny. It is kind of funny. You know, it's, it's also interesting when you're taking your young kids to the zoo and it's like, Hey, (laughs) what's that? They're hugging each other. Mm -mm. (laughs) Um, And we know that women's sexuality is more fluid. Women are turned on by, you know, wider variety of things than men are. Um, but then what happens is that when women are asked to describe their arousal, women, uh, in the study, they played it down. And so they, it's, there's this kind of social cultural expectation that encourage us to be less sexual. And the expectation is for us to be prudish. So of course, you know, if we think, if we go back in time and think, you know, agriculture, agrarian societies, and then all of the cultures that came beyond that and how women's sexuality has been repressed and stigmatized and villainized and all of these things, like, of course, women would not want to um, be known as like horny bitches because that, that could be a death sentence, right? So it would be, it was never in our interest once societies began to become, you know, moving into like, 
the evolution of of different um, societies throughout the world. It's it's never really been in our interest uh, until recently, with as that paradigm shifts to really be uh, honest and open about what gets us turned on. And even then, we're not as fully at the level that men are allowed to be frolicking about. Totally. So that's bullshit. Um, and there is idea that our bodies are made for sexual competition, not sexual exclusivity. Yeah, this is kind of interesting. So the authors talk about some biological facts that hint that our bodies have evolved for lots of sex uh, with many different partners. So here, here are some of them, the highlights. So the first one is um, a man's testicles are stored outside the body for optimum sperm temperature and conservation. <laughs> Uh, two, the shape of the penis is for high sperm precision. <laughs> Three, the thrusting motion during sex might be a way to try to pump out other men's <laughs> sperm. So the, apparently, of course, like when the penis is inside the vagina, it creates a bit of a vacuum and then the thrusting pulls down the sperm. So if, if, uh, a female was having sex with a lot of men kind of simul not simultaneously, but one after the other, then maybe, you know, the lucky last one would be able to pump out all that sperm. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. Uh, sperm has chemicals in it that <laughs> protects the first few drops from other men's sperm. I'm sorry that I'm laughing through all this. But it was hilarious. <laughs> uh, women moaning loudly might be a call to attract further men to try and fertilize them. So vocalizations and <laughs> female species. So, you know, if you have your window open. <laughs> Come hither. Uh! <laughs> but you got to wait 20 minutes till. Well, no, let's make it real. You got to wait three minutes till this guy's done. <laughs> or you can come in. <laughs> um, and women take longer to orgasm and can have sex longer to maximize potential partners for success, uh, successful impregnation. Wow. Yeah. And women are multi-orgasmic, right? Mm -hmm. Or can be. Not not everyone has that experience, but they certainly can be. And um, yeah. And our refractory period is pretty short. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that all you got to say? No, these are just really funny to me. Like, who is like <laughs> figuring this shit out? Like... I love the pumping out of other men's sperm. First of all, you don't know how a vagina works, you know, and, uh, well, I got to clean the other guy out. Better call Fred over to, to get Bill <laughs> out of my hoo-ha, you know, it's just fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So apparently these are some of the biological, <laughs> these are some biological observations that led the authors to believe that, okay, maybe a long time ago. Um, these particular biological differences led us towards um, having multiple partners rather than just one. And there's also the connection between our closest evolutionary ancestors, the bonobo. Do you want to tell people in case they don't know what that is? So if you, if you've never heard of the bonobos, definitely head on over to YouTube and type <laughs> in bonobo sex. <laughs> <laughs> why is that what you've watched on youtube <laughs> well i i certainly have but that's you know people know about bonobos really because um they are they love sex they love 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 sex and uh they're actually 
um, well, so if we look at our closest evolutionary relatives and their behavior, that could possibly give us insight into how we behaved. And this could be evidence that we're not naturally monogamous. So we share up to 98.4% of our DNA with bonobos. And apparently that's a closer match than chimpanzees, which are, we're also super closely related yeah, to. I have heard this fact about yeah. them. Yeah. And monogamy is not found, you know, in any social group, uh, primate group apart, like only humans practice monogamy, no other um, primates. Mm -hmm. Uh, practice monogamy. So in bonobos, sexual activity is so important um, in in how they interact with each other in their societies. And they use sexual contact as a tool to build close relationships, also to calm each other down and resolve social conflict. So um, instead of they don't fight, they're not aggressive, they use sex to basically work things out. So females have sex with males. Females with females, uh, males with females, young and old, old and old, and even little ones. <laughs> so they uh, game the observed, whole family can play. That's right. They are observed engaging in oral sex, group sex, and deep kissing. Oh, and, I, ha- I knew about the oral sex, but I didn't know about kissing. Yeah. Um, guess what I'm doing after this recording, you guys? I am going <laughs> to go what? watch YouTube videos of bonobos doing it. And I saw a picture uh, yesterday as I was putting this together of a bonobo like and her face, like at the height of orgasm, and it's pretty awesome. <laughs> she looks so happy. Okay, this so is what I'm doing later. Happy. I know that I am not going to be disappointed in this. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and bonobos are the only other animal in the animal kingdom that have sex facing each other, uh, and they oh. often gaze into each other's eyes during sex, which is so sweet. And um, bonobos and humans have sex far more frequently than other animals. You know, both have sex thousands of times per actual birth birthing event and bonobos and humans also have sex when the female's not ovulating and so that's also another characteristic is that almost all animals um i think dolphins don't i was i know yeah dolphins yeah. so this is proof that they have sex for pleasure and not just procreation and yeah. yes i i've read multiple times about dolphins but they might be the only two besides us i don't yeah. know i'm going to have to go that might be the second Google. What other animals experience pleasure? Yes. And then there's another thing too, is that um, our ovulation is hidden and same, same with the bonobos. So what that means is that um, we don't have like physical characteristics when we're ovulating. So, um, you know, most mammals before they ovulate, they'll, they'll maybe the vulva gets swollen or there'll be right. physical characteristics, which, you know, signals to the males, it's time, time for them to copulate, but uh, ours is hidden. It's kind of unknown. Like you don't know exactly, you know, when, when you're ovulating. So that's another similarity as well. That's interesting. And it makes me also think of dolphins because we don't see them running or swimming around with giant red assholes. So <laughs> I haven't looked, but Come on, we would have at least seen one picture by now. Probably, probably. I did swim with the dolphins once. That was awesome. But they weren't having sex. They were just playing. Only wild ones. Only support wild swimming. Yes, that was that was what that was. Uh, so there's also some counter arguments to all of what we're saying here, too. Yeah. So, of course, th- this is the theories of these two particular researchers. And then, you know, as I said, it created a lot of controversy. A lot of people said this is total bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, and also remember, too, that we're going to have our biases based on our background, our religion, our belief system. So, you know, and preferences, too. Exactly. Exactly. So we're all human and we're all going to have biases. So people who are who are saying that they didn't agree with this. Um, this one actually makes a lot of sense to me as a as a former wildlife biologist. So the authors say human males were unconcerned with parentage in hunter-gatherer society, so they didn't really care who the parent was. This is not true. Like all animal species, the male actually really does care about the parentage and will often kill young, um, yeah, like the younglings, mm-hmm. you know, the babies, so that they'll have an opportunity to mate with the female. So from yeah, a biological- see that in tons of places in the animal yeah. kingdom. Yeah, exactly. So it's, you know, it's in it's in the male's best interest to ensure that his line is a line that continues to procreate. So that that's that particular um, you know, thought is is not, I don't think, I don't think that's really tenable. Um then, you know, there's a lot of things humans do that are not in keeping with our natural origins, like having a podcast. <laughs> Pretty much a lot of the things we do every day are not in keeping with what we did, you know, tens of thousands of years ago or, or no, because we were trying to survive back then. That's right. Not to say that we're not surviving today, but it's a completely different situation. That's right. That's right. So I think that it, you know, can be, it's a bit of a stretch maybe to say, well, it was like this, therefore it should be like this today. Um, You know, I think that is again, based on your own belief system and preference. Um, and simply because our innate sexual nature wasn't monogamous, that also doesn't determine the nature of our sexuality. So long time no. ago, we might have been monogamous, but that actually has nothing to do with how we choose to be um, in our own sexuality and sexual preference and expression. Mm-hmm. So one does not like if we were not monogamous tens of thousands of years ago, that doesn't mean that, OK, well, then we should all not be monogamous today. That's that's, again, a bit of a stretch. And then the final piece is that, you know, one of the great gifts of being incarnated as a human being is this gift of consciousness and choice. Mm -hmm. And absolutely, um, everybody should be able to make the choice that feels right for them. Yeah. And whatever I'm doing, you can shut the fuck up about and vice versa. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, So it's all thought provoking. I, I think what the authors are saying is that monogamy can work, but it's not the only option, which I I absolutely agree with. Mm -hmm. Monogamy might not be our natural tendency, but it might be the most adaptive approach for some people in a modern world. And you know, like, yeah, no. And I think like along the same lines of, you know, women's sexuality being more in the forefront, I do find it for different types of relationships that are out there these days, like, you know, having the thruples, having, you know, open relationships, all of these different types of things, they seem much more in the forefront than they were like even 10 years ago. (laughs) Like people are much more open to talking about it. So absolutely. Like my teen, my teen girls, like, you know, they know what a thruple is. And it's just like, it's like a whatever thing. It's like, oh yeah, that's what it that is. And I imagine that, you know, if I had been talking about a thruple when I was 15 um, in the eighties, <laughs> wouldn't have been received in the same way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Many kinds of relationships. And um, I actually really love that we're living in a time where some of those expectations, paradigms are being kind of uh, torn down and exploring what actually works for individuals and 
um, people and families and all of those things. And it doesn't have to look one way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we want to know what you think. Are these arguments full of shit? Or do you think maybe they have a seed of truth to them? Let us know. Drop us a line. Send us an email. Send us a dirty DM. Show us your thruple family. Please. Send us a picture. <laughs> we're not going to shame it. <laughs> and next week when we're back on the Radical Sex Witches, it's all things you never knew about the winter solstice. Because guess what? It's that fucking time of year again. As always, I'm Little Leah. And I'm Carla. We are the Radical Sex Witches, and we will see you next time. Hello, witchy listener. It's Carla here. If you're feeling disconnected from pleasure and unfulfilled in life, reach out to me and let's connect on a free call. I love helping women like you shift to owning your sexual power, reconnecting to your body, and finding your unique Radical Sex Witch within. Go to CarlaWainwright.com or find my contact info in the show notes. Let's co-create a life for you that is truly turned on.